This is Fam Electric Ghost, and we are live on our Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube channels with Sawami from Los Angeles and Tokyo. <laughs> and we're, this is the first time that we're interviewing her, and I think it's actually her first podcast interview, right? Yes, I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, don't be nervous. We're all friends here. Um, <laughs> Great. So just to get it out of the way, because we do have to do a little business at the beginning, is that we um, have a couple of sponsors. One of them is Newsly.me, and they are an iOS Android app that reads the news back to you in a natural way. So if you use Ghost 2021 as the coupon code to get one month free premium mm -hmm. subscription, it's Newsly, it's an iOS uh, Android app, and it reads the news to you so you don't have to actually read it. It does it in an audio format. So it's kind of cool. You want to check that out. And then the other... Um, brand that actually is supporting us a lot um, big time for our festival that's coming up on the 11th is double jack online out of germany and they are a philanthropic online lottery where you can play kino and powerball and uh, you just take your cell phone and scan that and then you can actually play kino and powerball online outside the u.s on a vpn in the u.s and uh, you can become an influencer for them and they earn uh, side income so it's kind of a cool thing if you're a musician, you're trying to find a way to get money. Um, so that's another thing that we do. And now we're going to actually put up the link to Swami Music so people can get to that. Um, what was I going to do? And uh, yeah, we could we encourage everybody to go out to the links that we put on the podcast. We'll be putting out her Spotify links and her main website link on this podcast. And uh, we're just, you know, thank you for being on the show again. We're just going to put our banner back up so we everybody knows it's the ghost. And uh, yeah, one of the things we do like to do is we're going to queue up uh, a music video that you have for your song, um, Falling Down. And what we found is if we actually introduce at the beginning a piece of music or video before we go to the full interview, then the fans can kind of get a good reference point as to what you're all about. So if that's cool, we're going to play your full video for Falling Down, and uh, then we'll come back and do the full interview, and then I'll put you on mute, and then we'll come back, okay? Okay. Okay, cool.
So that was falling down, and now we'll make sure I end this. So here we go. I think we're back. So you can hear me, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I, can and, and yes. I got you back right. So this is always mm -hmm. the hard part, but I got you back. Uh, I see, um, yes. <laughs> so, so when we start to interview, we always like to talk to artists and, and ask them, like, well, how did you get into music? Like, at what age did you decide that you wanted to um, be a musician? So that's interesting. So, oh, so Yuri uh, introduced me that I'm from Japan and uh, born and raised in Tokyo. So, and then I moved to LA um, 2009. So when I was seven, I started singing. Um, ah, I, I started singing and I joined NHK Tokyo Broadcasting Children's Chorus Group for 10 years. And I performed uh, um, opera and uh, classical concert and also I did the education music TV for kid. And I also um, toured Europe and uh, it was a um, beautiful opportunity to sing in at the Notre Dame in Paris. That's okay. how I started singing, yeah. So I kind of yeah. started with a classical, yeah. So you, did you go to like a musical school for like a, the, the actual, um, like a private school to, to, to get to that level or were you just naturally talented? Oh, so when I was seven, um, I just joined, jumped to join it, like to the um, the chorus group. So before that, I never have any um, uh, practice or train. But okay, I remember, yeah. yeah, I remember the, the kindergarten teacher that told me that I have a good voice. So that's oh, that's so how they I could, they picked up on it that, that you had like that a natural capability, and then you got into it. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you started with, it's interesting because you you have this kind of uh, like symphonic sound. And I mm -hmm. actually had just talked to an artist out of Germany that described mm -hmm. that potentially as like electronic symphonic. And you have like this symphonic electronic type of sound to your music. It's, it's really interesting. And I like oh, the fact you. that you're playing pianos as a keyboardist, you know, in today's world where there's so many people are just on, you know, Dawes and, and not that that's not, you know, cool, but there's a lot of people in music that are producers. They're not actual, mm. you know, trained from the classical point of view or actually play piano. And it's really cool to see you actually, you know, taking a piano and taking the orchestration. And then the question oh, I had you. in your video where you have, uh, you know, three, three people in the room, is that all you? Is that that's me. That's me. <laughs> and I looked at your hair, your hairdo is like each one of those women had the same hairdo. So it's like, so you're playing bass and guitar and keyboard or is that? Oh, actually music? this recording, my partner David uh, records. And then mm -hmm. I, I, but I thought it was a cool idea for my music video. So I want to yeah, like yeah. sing and also do uh, the guitar and bass. So I, I practice and I, yeah, I kind of a little bit um, that played the guitar as well. So yeah, mm -hmm. so I kind of like doing it. Well, I think as a singer-songwriter, it's cool to be on as many instruments as possible, even if you're not yes. like the best at an instrument. It's mm -hmm. like even when you're doing your demos, just to be able exactly, to explain, yeah. you know, or, or even if you're not the best player, it, it's it's mm -hmm. cool to actually see somebody, you know, write their song because that's that's your vision, right? And then somebody right. else that might be a better bass player could take your bass line and play it better. But you know, that's that's the kind of nature of you go to in a band. Cause like I'm, I'm a keyboard player, so I might write the bass part, but a real bass player, or somebody like a professional bass player, is going to take what I did on my, on my hand, on my keyboard, and maybe do a better job of it. Right, um, and it's it's cool to, that you just said it, that because um, um, so because of the pandemic, so actually I was stuck in Japan, that I couldn't oh, wow. go back to the United States. Mm -hmm. So then, other time I just went to Hawaii for the vacation, oh, wow. and then completely stuck in there so i i wind up on go back to japan not la so but think about it i just went to the you know the hawaii for you know uh the just the sightseeing so i right, only right i don't have nothing you know i don't you have, have nothing <laughs> no i only have like a aroha shirt, shirts and dress or something and i went back to japan so i don't have nothing so then i wind up okay so i don't have nothing so oh why don't you just start practicing guitar so that's wow. how i kind of started to play a little bit of guitar 
And then now I, I'm not super good at it, but I started appreciating guitarist. And then well, that's, cool. a, I think yeah. That's, because I think like, you know, I'm, I'm a, actually, I started off as a wind, uh, wind player. I play clarinets and saxophones and flutes. Mm. But then I found it's like, well, it's hard to actually write a song mm. on a wind. Not that you can't, but you just end up writing a wind part. You write a flute part, you write a sax part. Right, right. But you can't write the chords because, you know, those instruments don't really have chords. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I'm like, okay, I, I got I to learn piano if I want to be a songwriter. So, so or, or guitar. And so they, those are the two, like, songwriting instruments, is the piano and the guitar. Because both of them, you can pretty much, you know, do the basic things you need to do as mm -hmm. a songwriter. Right. Um, so when did you realize you had a talent for music and you start writing your own music, like your own material? Because there's a difference between being a classical musician. I've actually interviewed a lot of them and they're totally like just trained to do Bach and Beethoven, Chopin. That's what they do. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't really write a lot of times their own stuff. They, they interpret the classics and that's what they do the whole career. Um, mm -hmm. but what made you want to go and write your own music and have your own material? That's very interesting questions. So, because I have a little bit of a unique um, background in my career. Because as mm -hmm. I said, I started kind of classical piece of music. I sang opera. And then also I started to feel I want to express myself, not just the singing. So I wind up went to the performing arts college for musical. So oh, I performed okay. several musicals. And then, um, so, and then now, also, I also did it, did it, um, how do I say, I also um, organized my own concert and I, I used uh, several songs from the musicals and then uh, it guide to the next level. I want to create music. So mm -hmm. I, so I kind of created music and singing in a concert, but at the time, actually it was in Japan and at the time uh, I just wrote the vocal melody only and then mm -hmm. I asked others to write the pro code progressions. And mm -hmm. then on um, the 2009, uh, I moved to LA to seek an opportunity to find my voice or music. And then I did several shows, like musical shows in here, and I joined a rock bands and it was fun. And then, um, so I did it uh, uh, as a backup singer and keyboardist. And okay. then I started to super, super interested practice piano seriously mm -hmm. and at the time uh, i met david my partner david and he taught me the uh several classical pieces of music and mm -hmm. when i'm practicing while i'm practicing piano i started to you know goof goofing around so i play mm -hmm. around the clothes and then oh suddenly i saw a vision of a girl like falling down from the sky very beautifully and gracefully and that's how the song holding down come out well okay, you got you have synesthesia as it's in your yes own. i want to talk about that Yo, oh, you it's, know interesting. It. it's interesting because synesthesia is, yes. is something i've actually used in my music like oh I so actually, you have it well it's, i don't know if i have it like i've been a musician since i was 17 i'm 54 but mm -hmm. like i tend to see color i tend to look at music because uh, George Martin and Jimi Hendrix talked about the idea of sound paintings. Mm -hmm. And so when George yeah. Martin was interviewed about the Beatles, he said, you know, I like to do a uh, musical composition like Monet. I like mm -hmm. to think of music as a sound painting. And yes. that's how he described yes. how he was able to get the Beatles into Sgt. Pepper, right? Rubber Soul and Sgt. Pepper, because he started to use the studio as an instrument. And then mm -hmm. in the studio, you could use tape loops, you could use uh, all kinds of synthesizers and keyboards, and, and and you could layer things in the pattern like we had he tried to describe with the sound painting, like an idea that you could layer like a painter, that you mm -hmm. could take sound and you don't have to actually replicate what you would do live. You could do things that you could never do live, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what Sgt. Pepper kind of represented was that you can build music and it doesn't necessarily have to be able to be performed that you could actually build an album to sound like as perfect or as strange as you want with all these layers and colors and stuff that you could almost visually, you know, see it. And, yeah. and I we got very interested in the idea of that because even Jimi Hendrix on uh, Electric Ladyland, people asked him like, how come you sound like birds and water and stuff on here? He said, well, it's a sound painting. 
and Hendrix mm-hmm. said that himself. And so the idea of that being a fan of the Beatles and Hendrix, I was like, wow, that's a cool idea to take that synesthesia idea. And, and I have tons of poetry and songs that actually name check synesthesia in my catalog. Oh. <laughs> 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 my name too. <laughs> the idea. So actually, <laughs> actually, the uh, the Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters, he has a synesthesia as well. Yeah, I heard so that. I, I heard uh, so the David, uh, my partner David, reading in a book about him, and we just discovered, yeah, me too. <laughs> well, I it's a, you know, as a as a writer, I thought it was a really good concept, and I had it in a, a bunch of poetry. I started as a poet before I got into music and then I was a musician and I never realized I could mix the two mm-hmm. so I actually would have I would go read poetry and I never did the music with it and then suddenly somebody said why don't you mix the poetry you're doing with the music you're doing and I said well yeah maybe I should do that yeah you should yeah it's <laughs> so, great so that's the, the idea like so um you realized you had an ability to write your own material but like who are your influences and your reference points in your music who would you say were your primary influences as a musician? Not that you're trying to copy them, but who inspires you or who you're really, you know, looked up to as as a somebody who's a musician. So, um, I think I inspired by uh, modern classic or musical or film score. I think probably because of my background, mm-hmm. and I love Joe Hisashi. He is my favorite composers he's a, mm-hmm. a studio ghibli movies composer oh yeah those movies are those movies are awesome. amazing amazing <laughs> so i love his little bit fragileness for the music i love this so yeah so and that's kind of my influence i guess and uh oh so i really like to add story to my music so mm-hmm. in a sense i i think i'm inspired by the stru- song structure from musicals and then mm-hmm. sometimes I'm inspired by story than just music. Music. So it's yeah. like a rock opera idea because, like, like I'm a progressive musician. So what that means is I like bands like Genesis and Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like yes, because if you go back in the '70s, those bands used to do what we call rock operas. So when you would listen to an album, the whole album would have a theme. Yeah. Like going into a movie, right? Right. So a Pink Pink Floyd albums are kind of famous for mm-hmm. having like they're actually have been turned into movies because they have these thematic things. Like even the Who with like Tommy and Quadrophenia, they actually created the rock opera with Tommy. And the idea in progressive rock is that you actually, you know, use the album format to tell stories or do these sound paintings or sound movies. And uh that's like I'm old school that way. I'm not like a modern EDM musician. I'm more of a like Genesis or Yes or Pink mm, Floyd. That's cool. People yeah, I, yeah. I'm inspired by because they tell stories. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm, I think music, like the album format in the 70s, what I love about the singer-songwriters is that each song actually tells like a complete story. Like you mm-hmm. listen to the Carpenters, they're all these sad love stories, you know, mm-hmm. and there, there's, or James Taylor. It's like really, you know, I seen fire, I seen rain. Those, those are classic type of song structures compared to like today you have songs that are mostly like clip based beats and loops yeah they're not they're not as like the kind of structure that the beatles had or todd rundgren or any of the classic artists that you know that i kind of look up to but yeah i mean classical musicians definitely have structure because it's like that's the core structure of any kind of you know when you learn music i'm a woodwind when i did woodwinds everything was i was playing was all classical stuff mm. so i kind of had that background too because uh, i was playing in bands where they had wind sections you know and, yeah it's cool flutes and the clarinets to like play these big pieces and i under, i understood how the song structures for those songs are but that's different than like a pop song you know yeah so how, how did you transition from like classical to pop because the pop structure is more concise and it has more hook in it. Um, yeah. What, did you actually like train yourself for that or, or do th- something or you just had a natural ability to kind of know how to build the hook? I don't know. Uh, um, hmm. I never think about that. Interesting. You just, do it. You just, do just it. like I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, some, and, artists, 
some writers did this, you can do it. Yeah, I, I, I'm more, I way more focus on the, um, not like hook. It's more like a story, and mm-hmm. more focus on the, on the dynamics to dynamics. go in something. Because yeah, I just don't want to do repeating same thing over and over because the emotion has to be changing. So this song, Falling Down, is to, um, kind of talk about the angel falling in love with human. So it's kind of forbidden kind of like, love. Kind of like Milton. You, know, like you got a little bit of Milton, Paradise Lost kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, right. like classical kind of mythology. Yeah, um, cool. Thanks. Yeah. You got you got that kind of Milton Paradise Lost type of thing going on. But then you've got, you know, you got that classical structure where you have things kind of kind of build up and have a crescendo, decrescendo, that type of stuff. Yeah. That's that's really yeah. cool. You know, you don't really hear that as much in, in what's in the top ten. It's more like like I said, in the seventies you could hear bands doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like even in the eighties, you would hear bands but new wave kind of took over and maybe different. I think like the seventies is really a period where you have a lot of bands playing like between jazz and classical, you got like jazz outfits like Miles Davis and, and uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, Herbie Hancock, they were all doing things that were very interesting, you know, very, very interesting pieces of work. And it was a merging of, of, of multiple genres, like bands Mm -hmm. mixing the blues with rock and people taking classical and, you know, in bands like a Steely Dan, just taking everything, you know, they're having people, yeah. from all, all, all these studio musicians from all over the world working with them to build songs. Yeah. And they were just trying yeah. to build songs that told stories. Like, you know, yeah. what, all those Steely Dan records, every song is like a story, you know? Yes. Yes. And, and that's, that's kind of where I think you are from what I hear. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Which, which is cool, but I think it's coming back. I think people want, I heard this story. My my daughter's like 22. And she said that more people in her generation are listening to 70s, 80s, 90s music than actually 2020 music. So oh. People, they, they, they are going back and they're listening to stuff that they said like five years ago they wouldn't listen to. They're actually going back and because they're, they're, they're realizing that some modern music doesn't have those elements, you know, mm-hmm. and they're kind of reminiscing yes. for, for the time when songwriters actually put the work in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 It's more organic, like soul, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I, I always kind of digress. I, mean, I understand that there's some really great music that's done in the modern forms. Like mm-hmm. there are great EDM, great DJs, great trap and trance, yes. not to put them down. So people don't yell at me for saying, what I prefer, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I listen, I listen to everything and I interview people from multiple genres. Just, mm-hmm. I have a preference that I kind of like the singer songwriter. Um, that's just kind of where I come from. But um, uh, one of the other things I like to get into is uh, how would you describe your writing style? Like, do you kind of plan out um, like you, I think you said that you kind of kind of came to you with the synesthesia. The, mm-hmm. that song falling down is that how most of your song kind of come to you yes it's interesting so when i'm uh, creating music i always follow colors or visions so start i kind of you know play around and then if i saw colors and then i'll just following and then mm-hmm. if i lost the same vision or same color i keep changing until i see continue to see this the vision of the story it's kind of the vision and the color guiding me. And then, then it, that's kind of why I started to play around and finish the one song as a structure. And then, uh, so that's why usually um, I'm always start with music, not lyrics. Mm-hmm. And then, so then kind of started with piano. And then I, after I finished the structure of the piano, Sometimes I started to do uh, the melody line or a little bit of orchestra to uh, uh, the arrangements to start or lyrics. It's, it depends on the song, but always like piano and then yeah. like find the colors or visions that I like. Yeah. That's interesting because I mean, I'm a synthesist. You know, I started, you know, I started on piano, but then I got really heavy in the synthesizers and I actually use like, like organic hardware synths and modular analog, you know, sense. And even my digital sense are like Roland's and Yamaha physical sense, just Mm -hmm. because I found that when I create, 
um, music that it's those colors that you get on these these old school synthesizers because no. they have all these controls, kind of like yeah. the Hammond organ and the draw bars. It, on these modular synthesizers or these analog synths, you have so many different controls to color the sound. And mm. a lot of times what I feel is I let my synthesizers talk to me. So mm. I will turn nice. them on and they, and they act different every day. And so it's like, yes. I, I'll, let, I'll let my mode kind of tell me what I should write. Because I'll turn yeah. it on and I'll play with it and it'll give me something that I didn't expect. And I said, well, that is what I'm going to work on. Because yeah. you know, I'll go play with the LFO and I play with the oscillators and I play with the envelopes. And then suddenly it spits out something I didn't expect. And then I'm like, wow, I can actually work with that. I tend to work in a stream of consciousness style where I, I'll, I'll let the synthesizers talk to me. And then I'll kind of just open a mic and then just hit the record. And I'll just find what worked. Kind of like Frank Zappa. I was big time into like how Frank Zappa used to work. And he used to record everything he did. He would go record his live concerts. He records his experiments in the studio. And then he'd go back and listen to the tapes and say, okay, well, this goes with this and this goes with that. And that's how he would put things together. And I said, well, that's a cool way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And I found that that actually works for me because then I kind of, instead of trying to really be hard at working at something, I kind of just put things down and see what works. Yeah, it's great. That's just, that's just yeah. a different way. Everybody's had different ways of doing it, but... Mm -hmm. I think yeah, the you, sounds kind of talk to me, right? Like, like yeah, you said, talk, it's you talking, you know, communications. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, like poets would say that they got their poetry from the ether, or they got it from the universe, or the muse. Mm -hmm. There's this idea in poetry that there's this universal muse, and poets are tapped into it, right? So if you're like a Wordsworth or Blake or Tennyson, these great poets, right? You were like, oh, I just I kind of picked this out of this universal concept of poetry and i just picked tapped into it and mm -hmm. i think musicians are like that too you can kind of tap into this universal like notes there i just out yep. there and i think if you're a musician you kind of you can yep. hear and see and feel them right yes There's feel it things that happen to you, right? you take things that happen to you as a songwriter and then you turn that into music whether it's mm -hmm. good or bad or whatever you can take the, the emotion yep. and turn it into something Right. That's yes. That's cool. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what I try to describe the process because people say, well, I think it's hard for people who aren't creative people to understand how a musician actually does what we do. Because they're like, how do you sit there and write something? Because if you're not a person that's a creator, right, and you never really get those ideas, you kind of get they get you people get mystified by by musicians and artists. It's like, well, how do they get these ideas? <laughs> and it, I think it's the type of like the synesthesia is a good example. Like for you, you're you're, you're kind of naming the, the your creative process with a yeah. term that people go, oh wow, I can I see how she can is mixing like she can see things with the with the color of the music and the picture from the music, and that's kind of driving your experience. Yeah, and that makes it more easy to understand compared to you get talk to an artist and they say, well. I don't know. I just do it. <laughs> You're right. I just do it. It's like, okay, why did they really tell me anything? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I yeah. Go ahead. I mean, is there anything you want to add to that kind of process? No, I, I, I think I believe in it. It's, it was gifted. It. Then I, I love the way to, you know, creating my own music. I love to be a little bit spiritual to talking and pick it up the sound of the colors or emotion. I, I kind of believe in the emotion also how it colors. So, mm -hmm. you know, like pick up and I love the what you just described. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's the poet. Like I, I, I grew up like in like, like my favorite Victorian poet is William Blake. Because what I like about William Blake and it kind of fits today's world. If you look at a, 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 like Tiger, Tiger, how fierce like symmetry. His poems are very short. They kind of work in the modern world. Compared to the other Victorian poets, they're very verbose. They're, you know, Tennyson and Wordsworth are very long, you know, mm -hmm. and complicated. Uh, but when you look at like, 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 like Wordsworth, they kind of fit in a modern kind of song structure. They're very short. They're very to the point. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, that's, that was really appealing to me because he was able to direct it. And then when I found out by his history, he used to actually etch his poems onto metal and do drawings and etching. 
So every one of his poems is actually a, an actual etched metal painting with the poem oh. embedded into it. So it's a total kind of art experience. It's like it's a, it's, it's he's using metallurgy and art and poetry all around. Wow. So it's a real visual kind of sound painting because it, it's actually is a painting. Yeah, <laughs> I love the painting. word sound painting. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's always like, wow, it's like, so his, his work really gravitated to me in this kind of visual age. It's like, that's what I think a lot of artists are trying to be like that. You know, mm. they're trying to find a way to connect through multimedia, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your okay. video kind of shows that because your video is, is kind of like the way MTV used to have videos. It actually isn't just performing and isn't just the way a lot of videos are. You're telling a story. It's a visual cinematic yeah, I love the other card. I yeah. made, I ate it everything. I need to say. You did? You, yeah, you I did ate that? everything. And yeah, I, I, awesome. I, need, I need to tell you that one thing. I never, ever use software. Software, mm -hmm. ever. So this is my first time I edit video. Mm -hmm. And so so when I'm releasing a volume down, uh, I know that I want to make uh creating the music video but how you know i don't even know then i don't even know the what kind of software and mm -hmm. there is a what is a final cut pro and final cut pro or something pro and the premium pro that's kind of i was you know when i google it it pop up and like oh uh, which you know, one? you're trying to find a tool that will make you yeah that's how i start <laughs> and then i head. yeah i choose the <laughs> premier pro and then so so that I, I watched the LinkedIn video and, you know, I'm from Japan, so I, but the English is my second language, but the LinkedIn mm -hmm. video is just only an uh, English version yeah. of it. And I have to... Japanese version of it. So I, I was looking for a Japanese version, but there's, there's nothing like more detail about the Premium Pro. So like, I, I need to watch the English version. So first mm -hmm. I have to understand and I have to make notes and also exercise. Even if the teacher told me like a five, just one thing for five minutes, it takes like a one hour to understand. To figure it out, yeah. That's yeah. Hard. But like, that, yeah. Well, I think that's really cool that you um, that you did the work. Thank you. Well, I think it's, I think it's really awesome. It's the reason why I like to talk to singer songwriters because like in this industry, you can talk to people who are like, producers and then you have artists that work with writers and they don't really write their own stuff right and i mm -hmm. tend to focus in the industry for emerging artists and artists uh in the indie world that write their own thing right they, they write their own music that produce their own music that have their own vision because yeah. one thing i i really dig that because i kind of grew up with like bands like you know like bob dylan and the band and and you know the like Hendrix, these are all people that wrote their own thing. They created their own thing. You know, people. If you look at Bob Dylan, he's like a total contradiction, because his voice is would never he'd never get a contract today, mm. with the voice he had, right? Mm. But the lyrical content is so immense that he was able to kind of push through, not having like a five octave voice, not having the perfect yeah. kind of voice. Because he came out during a period like where the record companies were really focused on people's voices. You had Motown, you had all these big machines at RCA and everything. And the fact that he was able to get on Columbia with his voice yeah. is like is unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Because I think his voice is brilliant, but if you compare it to the Sinatras and the Motown people, like it's not, it's not that. You know, and that's <laughs> what they was saying you had to have to get in. And what I like about his story is that he kind of forced his way into the industry and became like an icon and it kind of like the, the representation of like how you should write songs mm. from a Dylan-esque point of view people like look at that like the standard for certain types of songwriting and he really pushed it and I think that's why I like about I always tell people like you don't have to be what's the most popular thing you have to believe in what you're doing mm. <laughs> So you believe yes. like, the reason you do what you do, right? Is because you love yes. it. Because I you love believe it. it. And you and you have a vision and you want to have that vision shared, right? Yes. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yes, exactly. But you you just said. <laughs> <laughs>
But that, that's what I think is really cool about the indie world. Because I grew up like doing college radio and I loved pushing bands that weren't really that big. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a college radio DJ, I was just pushing, you know, at the time bands like REM and, and bands like The Replacements and the bands like like early bands that were like where Nirvana came from on um, like uh, Sub Pop, like these really mm-hmm. small indie labels. And what suddenly what happened like in the 80s and 90s is like bands like REM that were very small suddenly mm-hmm. blew up. Yeah. You know, bands like The Replacements are super small. They blew up. You know, like People started, you know, even like the idea of Nirvana, they were on a super small indie label. They were yeah. never really going to blow up. And then suddenly yeah. people got that vision. It's like, wow, these guys are doing something in an age where you had like the Motley Crue and the hair bands. They came out with like punk again. Yeah. And I was like, wow, really thought punk was done. Like with the Sex Pistols, it was over. And then Nirvana kind of brought mm-hmm. it back with grunge. Yeah. Like a different feeling. So that you can always, if you have a vision or you have, and Kurt never really wanted to make money. He wasn't about making money. He was about writing the song, you know, and that, that, that's always the, the thing I tell when I'm, I'm producing people. It's like, it's, it's a really like, is that song got honesty? You know, is it honest? Is it like the best thing you ever did? Is like, are you, or are you just trying to emulate other things? Are you just trying to do the best of what you can do? Or are you trying to like emulate someone else? You know, yeah. it's like you got to find your voice. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm so happy to came here to, you know, look for, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's why I came here to find my music, but also find my voice. So, yeah. So when you came to LA, did, what, what steps did you take to try to do that? What, what did you do when you tried to get your voice? Like, who did you seek out? What, what did you do? Interesting. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, first of all, I, so it was almost 10 years ago or something. Um, I, I, I couldn't speak English at all, zero. So I don't even know where to go. I, I don't know where, how to buy rice. <laughs> so that's how I kind of start. And then, so when I, that's fun, interesting. So one of my friends who can speak English, he just emailed to the several people to renting uh, apartments. And I said, I don't have a driver's license. So please, like, it, are you, your room is really close, just five minutes walking to the bus station. I said, yeah, 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 it's cool. Then they wind up like 40 minutes walking all the way top to the Hollywood Hills. That's my <laughs> first, that was my first, uh, the, uh, the room that I got. And uh, of course, next day I lost. And then Coyote was, you know, crying and I was so it was so it was so bad, but that's kind of I start. Then yeah, so because of it, took forty minutes driving up and down, I always singing like I have to you know rest in between, so to take a break and a singing, and then like go up. So then, and then suddenly one of the guy he was asking, "Hey, you have a great voice. I'm gonna introduce one person." So that's kind of how I met like um, several. Of friends who was magician that's kind of getting bigger and bigger and mm-hmm. but then I kind of started to do the musical because that's kind of my strengths at the time and I see so many people um oh thank you <laughs> I well, see so comments when we see good ones <laughs> oh that... yay <laughs> yeah so Oh my god, I, I lost the question. What was that? I, I guess it's like you're telling me how you kind of like 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 you a lot of people go to LA. Like there's a story that like Neil Young, he's a Canadian, right? He came to LA and that's how he got into like um his first oh, yeah. band, Buffalo Springfield, because he got he met all those guys just this the kind of roaming around LA trying to find a scene. And then he found you know, because there's so many musicians in LA, it's like New York, you go to certain parts of New York, there's you can get into the scene and yeah. and once you get in that scene then somebody asks you to you know sing on something or they ask you to play here or you get support for your vision and you're able to do like your classical stuff that you were doing the musical i think it's just it's just an artist environment i think you have to be like if you're in certain like places like yeah. they don't they don't have anywhere for you to play right if you're in certain places in america there's no clubs like there's no there's no stage there's no uh, there's not a lot of artists running around 
where you could get into an artist artist scene and actually connect with people. And, you know, you, you have known scenes in like LA and Nashville and New Orleans and New York city. Um, and once you get there, then people kind of just, well, I'm just going to get there and then I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I just... it like you kind of did that. It's kind of like a hippie thing. People used yeah. to go to like, Hey, Asbury, go to, go to San Francisco. And then they would just find, you know, the Grateful Dead type people. Would, oh, I just found a band like the dead. And I want to I'll just go and make another Grateful Dead, you know, or, or be in that scene. And they would just get into it, you know, and, and it just happened. Actually. So first my um, plan was just six months to be in the United States. Oh, wow. Only, Only six, six months. Yes. And what I just into, what it turned into. So, so then the second month, like I just want to try out for the musical auditions, and mm -hmm. then like I went there, and then I got uh uh fortunately I got the the pass. So like uh the, so the my first musical show was after six months. That's why I decided to stay, and then wind mm -hmm. up I'm living. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't go back except maybe to visit family and stuff, right? You just you just stayed here. Yeah, also I went back and forth, but yeah, yeah. I wind up and saying, yeah, a lovely well, way. Cool. cool. I mean, I, I actually was in uh, Tokyo for business from like 2004 to 2006. Cool. I lived in Moto Azabu near Rapongi. Awesome. Party <laughs> city. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, it's expat land. Expats, but uh, I don't know if they like. I don't know if they like this, but <laughs> I was trying to be as cool as possible because I would. I love every. I was going to. I wasn't one of these guys that would only go to the Hard Rock Cafe because I'm an American. I would mm. go to every Japanese restaurant I could find. Oh, I, like, cool. I wanted to know. My daughter was going to a Japanese preschool, and then she went oh, to Nishinoki, cool. and so like my daughter and my wife were there, and I wanted to immerse her. And not say we'll just get a burger all the time. It's like no, let's let's have sushi, let's have sashimi, let's try everything. And and, and it was cool because my daughter was actually a cool kid that she actually did try like all the Japanese food, and she even to this day at 22 years old, she loves it. She she yay. She, she's like she she orders from like Fulton Fish Market in New York City to make her own stuff all the time. Oh cool, <laughs> <Oishii>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, wow, great. But um, let me get back to the question. So so when you record, do you actually do a home studio? Because a lot of people, because of the pandemic, have kind of built their own home studios and use digital audio workstations like <laughs> Pro, Pro Tools and Logic and all those things. So are you somebody that, that you do that initial demo or you do all the production at home or do you go to a traditional recording studio? So this is my yay home studio. Yeah, it looks <laughs> <So> I, like it. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, so I I use Logic Pro, okay, and cool. my microphone is the Neu Neumann uh, TLM one zero three, and then I use the UAD Apollo device. Oh, and cool. Cool. yeah, and then for arrangements, I love using Cine samples, mm -hmm. and and also uh, the East West and orchestra tools and atmosphere contact and etc. Like others. That's and cool. yeah, and, uh, David also records the bass and the guitar. So usually he used the uh, um, Grid Silver Jet or Jazz Masters or uh, Rickenbacker. And then what, I love. What type, of, what type of piano do you use? Uh, I think it's a Yamaha. Yeah, it looked like a Yamaha. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the Yamaha. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good like. It's uh, beautiful. Music. I love yeah, it. Yeah, they're beautiful. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck with. Well, I'm not stuck. But I have Rolands and Moogs and like lots of analog gear, um, but like, I, I would love to have like a physical piano. But I don't have the room for it in my bedroom studio. I'm an actual bedroom producer <laughs> <laughs> in my bedroom, but so I don't have the room for my a piano in here. But um. When, one day I'm going to get a bigger spot and I will get a Yamaha because they're, they're yeah, the it's that's beautiful. Yeah. beautiful. But um, yeah, I just think it's um, so do you, you do the, do you do the complete song? Oh, in the right, right. Or do you do the demo? Yes. So I do, so I do demos. Uh, I do everything on the, you know, uh, recording, 
and uh, arrangements and uh, lyrics. Of course, David helped me, supported me. And mm-hmm. uh, so I kind of, we kind of do the rough mix. As well. I, I do the rough mix and mastering as well. That's and cool. then, yeah, so it was nice that uh, after I could ability to do the uh, mixing and mastering the song, the, you know, more wide open for my career, which is great. Well, I think it's good to be able to have the vision of what you want it to sound like and then find a producer because I think this is where the, the thing that's hard is like if you're like if you're a musician and you're not too sure of yourself, then you tend to, you can let a producer kind of take you take over your your work. Right. Yeah. But if you're a kind of di- very directed singer songwriter, yep. you have a have a clear vision. Yes. Yes. And the producers that you want are the ones that enhance your style, but don't totally deviate from your vision. Right. And yeah. maybe if there's something that they see that you, okay, well, maybe I should change it. But most of the time it serves the song. It yeah. doesn't radically shift your vision, but enhance it or maybe make it you do a little bit different, but it would not totally like yeah. 360 away from what you want originally envisioned. Right. Is that, is that the type of people you like to work with? Or do you yes. Like so actually, actually, <laughs> yeah, well, actually I, I, I'm so honored that um so the Brian Maluf, he's the the you know legend mix engineer. He mixed my song, and that's oh my god, he's amazing. So he you know he brought the song like way next beyond next the next level. level. Yep, and yeah, it was really it, nice. But you uh, had the roadmap. He, he didn't really deviate from what your vision was. He just made it sound better, right? Yeah, well, also, I kind of explain. I see this one is kind of this, you know, vision, blah, blah, blah. blah. Sometimes I'm yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. telling, like, super detail. But, oh, my God, like, I even I just said it, the vision, like, he did it beyond the vision. Like, right. like well, that's the thing is, like, incredible. Recording, recording engineers in itself is an art. Um, and, you know, a lot of times these days, because of the COVID, I, I spend a lot of time doing a lot of my own mixing and mastering. And I, when I have worked with, you know, engineers, they do, it is an art and, and what they're able to do and what they hear and the tricks they use, you know, there's tricks, but there's, there's techniques they can use with, with using the boards they use and the equipment they use to enhance everything you do. And, yeah. and it's like, kind of like when you have a producer and they say, oh, why don't you do a shadow vocal? Why don't you do this thing? And this like, you know, like alternate key on this one channel and then build it and build it. And then there's all this stuff that you can do. Like if you understand like music theory or what it's going to sound like that you might not have intended, or you might not, you know, inherently know to do that. There might be Mm -hmm. things that, Oh, wow. If I run this, this thing in multiple layers with different tunings, I can get this like crazy sound. And I didn't think of if I just did it straight, you know, um, is this stuff that why you want to work with people to kind of bring ideas like that to you? Mm-hmm. You know, I really like the Hebrew more dynamics for the song. I love it. Yeah. That's always, a, you know, just this, the audio quality of, you know, somebody having the equipment that has the right preamps, that has mm-hmm. the right treatment. It's kind of like, you know, if you have like, uh, you know, the famous, like, you know, great, great boards that from the 70s, like, you know, like a Sound City, you know, like a Neve. Like Neve mm-hmm. Audio is like this classic audio. They would use it on like Fleetwood Mac rumors mm-hmm. and like Tom Petty, like the Amdo Torpedo. There's like, there was this analog board. And I think actually the Foo Fighters, I think uh, Dave Grohl actually bought that board that was in mm-hmm. Sound City. It was actually this analog board that was used to mix all these great records. Oh, nice. Wow. And, and what was, the thing about it, it had some kind of analog circuitry in it that when you actually record a record on it, it just made it sound so good compared to like, you know, everything today is digital, but if you find these old analog equ- equipment and you actually run your album and master it through it, it mm-hmm. sounds like unbelievable. It just has this yeah. warmth to the, yep. to the, add to the mics, mm-hmm. it adds to the drums, the kicks and the, and the bass drums and even the guitars. It's like everything gets changed. Um, and yep. I guess I'm a big believer in analog just cause I think the warmth of it and it's kind of like, even though it's a machine, it seems to be more, um, 
like have a character. <laughs> mm. Digital, yeah, we yeah, yeah, can yeah. replicate it, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in in using kind of solid state analog technology to give you warmth to your Yeah, screen. yeah. That's just one yeah. thing. But um, so have you been playing live at all or online or because of the way things with the pandemic? How how have you handled like live performance or? doing shows and stuff like that. So actually, I'm super excited to announce that actually I have a four more songs to release. Uh, I'm going to release in uh -huh. every six to eight weeks. So <laughs> so I just released the Falling Down next, uh, last month, sorry, last month. So the March 4th, it's going to come in on the second single. So, and then after, um, release the four more songs that I'm kind of thinking more focus on the live shows. Yeah. So all these songs are just going to be separate releases or are they going to end up on like an EP? Uh, I'm kind of thinking after releasing four singles that then going to be the EP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they would probably end up all landing on the same EP? Yes. I kind of, yeah, yeah. What I want EP that's yeah, this seems yes. like today the, the way the industry is, it's like um, it is at a point where it seems like um, you do have to release on a regular basis mm -hmm. compared to like there was a point like in the 70s and 80s where bands would appear for like and then disappear for two or three years, right? They would come out with something yeah. and then they disappear because it wasn't, there was no net. So I guess they could get away with it. And, uh, <laughs> but, but like <laughs> today is like, you kind of need to be engaged. Yes. Keep it up. Keep like, it up. <laughs> you got to yes. have something coming out. It's kind of like the way the Motown used to run. Motown mm. would take a song and if, if it didn't work with the Supremes, they give it to the Temptations. If it didn't work with them. They give it to the Four Tops and they just keep on putting out variations of it or put out different different songs every week with each band and if they didn't hit the number one or didn't hit the top 10 they'd do it again do something else they just keep on putting them out and mm -hmm. um i think that's it seems like that's the way things are today it seems like yep. people are in that same kind of mode yeah 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 i was okay. thinking for releasing uh sorry i was thinking for releasing the four uh one album for this uh five songs but uh wait a minute i think it's i want to cherish you know, one one song each, not like throwing them, you know. <laughs> well, they can get their own promotion. No problem with that. Yeah, and I want to challenge like one song. It's, it's you know. The, well, the thing is, that because we're in a playlist world, what happens is the albums don't get listened to all the way. So mm -hmm. a lot of times you have to put the songs out individually <clears throat> so they can get on the playlist and they can get in the rotation right. because the, the today's audience is less likely to actually listen to an album all the way through yeah. compared to like when I was a kid, you know, kids would have an eight track or, or vinyl. And right. Both of those, you would tend to listen to the whole thing. Now the eight track, you could bounce around, but you still stayed on the one cassette. You didn't pull it out. You would actually, you know, I I actually got like Stevie Wonder songs on the Key of Life on an eight track, and I would actually let it run all the way through because it was so good. But um, yeah. <laughs> but but it, it's it's just I think the idea of vinyl is coming back. You know, there's a lot of indie bands <clears throat> that have found that if you put out vinyl, your fans will actually listen to your complete yeah. piece. Um, this is also, yeah, yeah. if you put Long it out package. like it, yeah if you and it kind of gives you the, the ability to connect to your audience in a very cool way because you can have the art in the liner notes and it's, it's a lot smaller distribution than sending something out onto spotify but i think it just artistically uh uh feels good to to, to actually be able to connect physically to an artist yeah um, I, just, I think it's always encouraged people, even if it's a little cassette or something, it's like if you can connect to your fan with something physical of your and, music. And works. also like, because you're a musician, you know that we really seriously think about the order of the song as well, right? Yeah, it's very important. Yeah, so it's very, very important. So yeah, it's a really cool the vinyl, you know, there's a one package story it's not it just one form, song. It, it, yeah. it locks you into the order, right? Yes, it, it has so to be the order. Yeah. <laughs> you tend not to, once you put that needle down, you're not going to pick it up most likely. 
most likely. Yeah. Like if you're, even the today's fans that are getting these high fidelity systems, they're like, once you put the needle on, you usually listen to the whole thing, which is, 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 you know, that's the goal of any musician. It's like, you want people to listen to your deeper tracks, not yes. because to me, the cool thing about an album, it's, it's the songs that aren't the singles. The songs that aren't the singles kind of tell you a lot about an artist because it kind of gets into the deep kind of real, to me, the real depth of the artist. Is yes. Well, that's, cool. Yes, yes. That's what I like to listen. I, I tend to listen to the songs that were never, you know, singles. Because <laughs> that was yeah. the thing I really dig is the depth that the artist, where they would go. Mm. And, you know, the singles are cool and everybody loves them. But I kind of mm -hmm. like learn more about the artists, who they are from the depth of their, the, the interior uh, songs on the, on the record. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. But it's cool, but it's cool. You got the, a lot of, a lot of material coming. So that's really yes, awesome. Yes. Yes. And we do like to have people come back on the show. Um, we've actually done album release episodes. So if somebody puts out an EP, then we tend to do like a full uh, episode of, of the support that EP release. So oh, we've cool. done that before. Uh, and we actually have people like if they keep on putting out stuff and they want to talk about each individual track, we will go and do mm, episodes, nice. multiple episodes with bands if they're, you know, if they want to do it. So yeah, we're, we're putting that out there. If you, when you have other things, if you want to do it, let us know. Um, oh, cool. Thank you. And so are you also collaborating with any other musicians on projects like, or are you primarily focused on your own work? Uh, so I think it's really fun to collaborate with other artists. It's, you know, the mix in a different genre to create the new genre. I love it. You know, it's cool. And, but uh, also uh, I really, so it's not only just musicians. I really love to collaborate with like artists like painter or writer or mm -hmm. photographers you know because people easily to forget music how music add to emotion to visuals so you know nowadays social media you know uh everywhere so it's kind of easy to collaborate to the people so like it doesn't have to be just a musician with musician it's it's different types of collaborations so it's yeah like, i think that's that's a lot yeah. of the the work that we there's a potential yeah. yeah yeah i mean because that's why i got into the podcast because like i could just sit in my studio and just write expansive sound experiments all mm -hmm. day that's all i could do but what i do is i take some of my time and i actually go and talk to other musicians and i found that the experience of actually not just right working on my own stuff but working with allowing other people to know about other musicians and mm -hmm. then i learn about other musicians and then they it informs me and gets me interested and I find new things to listen to. And, it, you know, everything, every time you're a musician and you listen to somebody, you pick yeah. up, on it. you know, you pick up yeah. something and it ends up in your head. And it can, when you're playing, you might, you know, just it pull a line. And I found myself like pulling like lines from John Coltrane or pulling like, you know, Mingus lines. Cause I'm a big, I'm big time into jazz. So, a lot of times when I play my my, my my electronic music, I'll actually pull lines from the things I like. So I'll just like, you know, just, it, not that I was thinking of doing it, it just kind of happens. It's in the back mm. of my head and will we'll just pop up. And I think that happens to a lot of musicians. Like you, you're, what you love and your reference points tend to kind of, you, know, you, you might play it a different way. You might play in a different key, different right. speed, different interpretation different chord progression you just but you felt it and so you you put it into the music because you felt that would work yeah yeah it's felt it's so important you know taking yeah. in and feeling and then you know to well, create own thing. way you know yeah. yeah i mean feeling is i think that's everything to be in yes like it's like to yes me, and yes. this is where i kind of get into one conversation before we kind of end is like one of the things I noticed with some some of the um, modern technology is I like kind of like that idea of happy accidents when you record, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. you might do something and your vocal might not be perfect, right? But the, the delivery might be so honest and it might, and if you go back and you try to re-record the vocal and you're like, 
you know, like that second, third take is really what it should be, but there's a little imperfection in it. And then I'm like, I'm willing to go with the imperfection to get the honesty of what that sounded like. Yeah. I think th there's a tendency now to try to make things sound so clean that like, if you listen to like the stones, like the way Keith Richards plays, it's not actually like perfectly. It's a little bit off key. It's a little off time, but it's mm -hmm. what makes stones sound so good. It's he's yeah. not totally in sync. He's a little off and it's on purpose and it's kind of the way he plays, but it's not totally dead on time. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like that imperfection in his style. It's kind of like funk. Funk is a little, like if you listen to Funkadelic or you listen to Sly and the Family Stone, it's the stuff that's a little, you know, not exactly perfect, but it makes the song so good. You know, yeah. you don't want to just edit that out to try to get 100% correct BPM or pitch. You know, yeah. I think that yeah. that sometimes is a mistake. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I really want to say is the why I love about music is it's kind of hard to explain, but I, I kind of believe in the stuff you can see, but it's there. And then it's the reason why I love about music is you can see, right? But you feel it. And I'm like, suddenly you feel you know, cry or, you know, joy, like they bring in something for the emotion. It yeah, it triggers. Yeah, the, that triggers I really love. In your head. Yes, like, every yeah. Every time I listen to Karen Carpenter, like I almost want to cry because I keep on thinking about something from the 70s because it's like they're like a 70s icon band, right? But mm -hmm. it's just like they were kind of of their time and it's kind of very nostalgic. But like every time I hear her voice, I get brought to like some scene yeah. from like 74 or 73. Yeah. And I just remember this something. Old... Yeah. yeah. And it's very melancholy because her voice, even when it was singing a happy song, it's melancholy. And it mm -hmm. kind of just triggers like this kind of beautiful sadness that's just like so enticing. But it's like, you know, it's it's kind of yeah. it's kind of weird because she kind of embodied this romantic sadness in, in yeah. her voice. And it's just yeah, through your voice, not like visual, you know, you feel it. That's just yeah, a as soon as you hear Karen Carpenter, you're just like, wow, like, yeah, nobody that sounds like that. And it just triggers, like, wow, like, I wish I could help her, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> it feels like, like she's so sad, but so beautiful. <laughs> and I don't know if she knows people love her, you know, that's the feeling <laughs> I get. Like, did she not know people loved her, you know, because that's the kind of feeling I get it makes me kind of sad but because it, it is like it's so it's so beautiful and it's like yeah. to, to feel like they're not that they feel like there's something that's triggering them to do that sad thing but I mean mm -hmm. that's that's the essence of music it's like things can bring you joy they can bring you sadness and bring you yeah. like you said you know that yeah I loved about it for the music the, the most love about it yeah <laughs> well I think we we're at our our, our point we like oh the, that was quick. <laughs> yeah, you know, it goes by quick. You never know. But um, yeah, we, we try to try to. Uh, people are like, "Oh, I don't know if I can go an hour," and then we we just went over. Um, so <laughs> that's it's really happy that we have you on here. We want people to go and check out your music. The links will be available. Um, this is on Twitch, uh, YouTube, and Facebook. We will also be on Spotify, um, video podcast within an hour. Uh, oh, this cool. will also go to the audio um, iPod, I mean, I, um, Apple podcast and a bunch, like there's a bunch of other audio podcasts that we're affiliated with through Anchor FM. So you'll be on um, Stitcher, Radio Public, a bunch of other ones. So it's going to get distributed multiple places and it will be permanent links that we will send you to Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Thank you. We have a new <laughs> that started to actually go out to Twitter. So there's a link that goes out to Twitter and then maybe sends you back to YouTube. But oh, there's, cool. um, that's what's out there right now. There's one that got triggered uh, on our Twitter channel and uh, that, that, that should have done that too. So thank you for being on the program and we're very happy to have you again whenever you want to. We will send the links to you as soon as they're available and we'll put up a highlight on our Instagram as well and a story. Thank you. Have, have a good night. Thank, Thank you for you being so much for having me.
It was fun. Yeah. Thank you. So I'll just leave the broadcasting and then you don't have to drop off yet, but I'm going to just turn off the broadcast now and thank you everybody for listening and watching.